0: Hello, and welcome back to Real Time Strategy, a podcast all about the gaming industry. I'm one of your hosts, Sam Mosher, and I'm joined once again by my co-host, Caitlin Redwing. Today, we're joined by two very special guests, Amanda White and John Gibson, founders of I Am 8-Bit. I Am 8-Bit is the entertainment production company behind your favorite and my favorite pop culture collectibles, vinyls, and physical editions. But what you may not know is that I Am 8-Bit has also produced art exhibits, created brand experiences, and helped put on some of the year's coolest gaming events, including, of course, Summer Game Fest and Day of the Devs. Amanda John, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you
1: both doing? Uh, we're thoroughly amused by the, the the reverse mirroring on the video. That's what I figured you
2: were doing. It, like I, um, I downloaded a separate software. Like it's called ManyCam, so that I could switch my, um, my recording on like my end. So like I no longer mirror because I joined once and I was like, this is too much. I was like, I need to go in and like mirror my own webcam.
0: Yeah, I they feel that as somebody who is. Yeah, someone who is, I hate to admit, uh, too vain. Like, looking <laughs> whenever I show up, and I'm like, my hair's parted the wrong way, I'm like, oh no, it's just it's just mirrored differently. Um, but now, of course, John Week, everyone can read your amazing hat on the video version. <laughs> you would not steal a
1: DVD, it won't make sense to the Nor- That. Yeah, <laughs> hopefully, yeah, everybody out there listening dis- knows what a DVD discussed is
2: earlier. Not everybody knows what a DVD is. <laughs>
0: Well, unfortunately, thanks to the work of I Am 8-Bit, everybody knows what a vinyl is these days, and I think if you would have gone back a couple decades and told people that's how it shook out, they would have been surprised. Um, but before we get into the past, present, and future of I Am 8 speaking of physical goods, we'd like to ask our guests to get started a get-to-know-you question. What, John and Amanda, what is your favorite physical media item or items? Like anything with personal meaning, can be a movie, vinyl, game, collectible... Love to hear the answer.
1: Can they be food? Yes. <laughs> uh, hot mustard Doritos. It's a new flavor. It's really delicious. It's not sold that, in a grocery I store.
2: I never would have guessed that's what you were going to say. Hot mustard uh, it's, Doritos. i
1: obsessed with it in the household right now. We There's always multiple bags of hot mustard Doritos. Uh, I Oh, when you were in here one day, I actually went across the street to the grocery <laughs> store and I bought a bunch of hot mustard Doritos and I left them.
3: <laughs> I think I saw the remnants
1: of that. Yeah. <laughs>
2: I just Googled it. It's at my grocery store down the block. So when we're done recording, I'm going to go get hot mustard Doritos because that sounds so good, especially like on a sandwich.
0: Yeah, that's been an increasing trend at sandwich (laughs) shops around here is the idea of adding the potato chip to the sandwich uh, Mm. to give a bit of crunch. So why not skip the condiment and jump right to the condiment flavored chip? I just went to
1: the Netflix Bites restaurant uh, over the weekend and they put potato chips on the pizza. So that's oh. that's a new thing too. Oh.
2: and if you've seen the bear, they put potato chips on an omelet, which I have yet to try, but I really want to make that because that just something you would not expect, but it tastes really good.
1: Uh, she she's the bear fan. Yeah,
3: it, it did look delicious in the show, as does yeah. everything in that show. But yeah, it was particularly uh, tasty and and frankly easy to make at home, right? Not not super complex Gourmand yeah. type thing. It was like a you could pull that out of your cupboard and make it.
0: Right. So, John, thank you for the food recommendation. Amanda, what is your favorite physical item? Of course, food welcome.
3: Uh, (laughs) Favorite physical item. Uh, Well, let's say this. My favorite film is My Dinner with Andre. And you, I don't know if y'all are old enough to have seen that. I I have no idea how old you are. It's related to food, though. Partly because it has Wallace Shawn uh, of Princess Bride fame, and uh, uh, partly because it's just like a deeply philosophical film about um, the meaning of life and and sort of, um, Mm -hmm. you know, the purpose of living on the planet. And uh, I think that's something that um, kind of weaves its way into our business uh, kind of at every turn on on these really sort of like meaningful levels. So, um, yeah, that's me.
1: As discussed over dinner. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
3: yeah.
1: <laughs> well, thank you I for the recommendation. I had
2: not heard about this. Yeah. Yeah. I had not heard of this movie before, but I am adding it to my my watch list.
1: It's the 18th highest-grossing movie of all time. If it's on the list, check it. Google it. Kidding.
2: <laughs> I was like, <laughs> right, "There's no way." <laughs> right
3: right between. The- yep. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, Caitlin and I are big uh, proponents of Letterboxed on this uh, show. So this will be going on my watch list as well. Thank you for the recommendation, Amanda. Uh,
1: this is definitely a Letterboxd community film. Like, yeah, for it's a cineast kind of thing.
0: <laughs> well, at the end of the show, this is a little, you know, hook to ke- keep everybody around to the end. We'll definitely ask if you want to share for your Letterboxd handles so everybody can follow you.
1: Oh, I don't actually use it. Do you, do you know what it is? I, no I, just, I actually just discovered what it was like two weeks ago. I don't have one, uh, nor does Amanda, but uh, it's just a community where people like review their like films they like and share it with their friends. And so you can kind of like, sure. Nick might have one. Actually. He probably does.
2: Yeah. yeah. Husband, it's the like Nick. the, the good, the film version of Goodreads if you've ever used that with, like tracking the books you read yeah. and Yeah. It's Sam and I. Basically, every week we meet. We're like, so let's do some work, and then we're like, so what did you just watch? Like, and then we like stalk each other's letterbox to find new things to watch. We're just nerds. It's fun. Yeah,
0: (laughs) I contend as Twitter or the artist formerly known as Twitter now X, um, you know, continues its trajectory that letterbox more and more becomes my favorite social media app, even if it is just. Looking at what Caitlin's watching, <laughs> but regardless, thank you both for sharing your fa- favorite physical items. Now to get into the physical items made by I am eight bit. Uh, the company of course wears many hats. So let's get started with how the company started. Uh, what is I am eight bit for listeners and, and viewers unfamiliar with the company? Uh, the, a lot of answers.
1: <laughs> can be able, Everyone kind of knows us for something different. Uh, And as one thing, but then they're like shocked to find out we do all this other stuff. Uh, The genesis of the company was 18 years ago. Uh, It was just me at the time and it wasn't like a real company at all. Uh, And it was uh, the world's first pop culture art show uh, where I was working in animation at the time uh, as a writer for like Disney and Nickelodeon and Cartoon Network. And before that, I was a a journalist in, in video games when magazines and Newspapers uh, paid actual money to people who wrote things uh, and you can make a living doing that. Uh, not not so much anymore. Uh, and I had a lot of artist friends that liked video games and we had weekly game nights and I thought it'd be fun to have all these talented artists do uh, an interpretive art show of like Mario and Donkey Kong and Zelda and like paintings and sculptures and, and bring the fine art world uh, down a few prongs so it wasn't this highfalutin like $20,000 plus like unattainable thing. Uh, but then it also elevate, like, you know, what it, what it was like to own actual art versus just like a poster with thumbtacks on your wall. Uh, but that very quickly turned into a bunch of companies, uh, like the Capcoms and the Nintendos and everyone else in the world coming to us and saying like, Hey, can you design a t-shirt for us? Can you produce an event for us? Like you're onto something with this, uh, this kind of experiential interpretive thing, uh, and I didn't really know what the fuck I was doing, uh, but I met a man along the way and uh, we kind of whirled into a, a thing that you could call an agency or uh, any number of things. But you want to take it from there?
3: Sure. Yeah. My background was in film production. And um, so I had this sort of knowledge around putting structure on a project, budgets, schedules. Um, but also just come from a very different creative world. And John, you know, sure, I played video games growing up. I'm a little older than him, so there were different games, um, mostly in arcades and a little bit of um, uh, stuff at home. But, um, you know, what we found was that creatively we, despite coming from very different places, when we mashed our brains together creatively, it it, it spawned this, like, completely wild thing um, that no one else would ever come up with. And, and it just started to, we started to create projects and products and items and activations and, you know, everything that we do in ways that other people weren't doing. And, and I think it it got us a lot of attention and it, it, it allowed us to grow the company in a really special and unique way.
1: Yeah, and that, that experience that we approach things creatively from is, is about the human experience and your, your relationship with, with yeah, things, objects, artifacts, sure, but like also how you interact with the world and how you, if it's an event, uh, you know, what are you doing at an event? Is it just a party? Like, no, like we typically approach things from a, a, a place of, like what are you taking away from the experience you just had? Uh, whether it's just something that landed on your doorstep Uh, We we don't want to put junk into the world. We don't want to waste people's time. We want to provide something that is meaningful, hopefully. Uh, But it's not just coming at it from a a fan service perspective. Uh, So we're not just catering to like super nerds uh, who like the particular thing, but we're also trying to make something of quality and premium milk that uh, would be appealing to a a wider swath of of folks who just appreciate good things and want to be exposed to new stuff too. Uh, so we're not trying to make stuff inaccessible because it's so nerdy. In like, like, let's use Star Wars as an example. Like, you, you know, if you speak the the interior language of Star Wars uh, and know every character's name and and every nuance and every planet and and the material that Luke's cloak is made out of, uh, you're going to polarize people. But if you can be appreciative and and tend to the details, but also create something that's that's lovely and appealing and of quality that it, it opens you up to a, a brand new thing.
3: I would, I would add to that too, that I think that we have, and this is kind of tying back to my dinner with Andre, which you'll understand after you watch it, uh, that we want to, we want to tap into human psychology in a way with whatever we're doing, whether it's an event or a, or a product or an experience um, that gives people something that they need right? And, and, and it's, I mean that on a deeper psychological level. It's not like I need something to put on my shelf. It's like, I want to mm-hmm. feel comfortable. I want to feel accepted. I want to feel delighted. I want to feel meaning. I want to feel, I don't know, you name it. But but uh, 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 there's a million positive things that we can create and evoke in a person based on what we present to them. And, and that's what we, we aim to do. It's really like, tap into the human psychology in a way that makes people <clears throat> want and feel attracted to what we're providing.
1: Yeah. So, so you apply that for, it started with art shows and you know, your experience in an art show, whether we even knew what we were doing or not at that moment, like the, when you see people's faces and, and their enjoyment of something and you start to like really think about it on that level, you can apply that ethos to anything. So the company now is like many, a many headed beast. Uh, we have a, a a product division. Uh, we we make vinyl soundtracks and physical games and collector's editions and and other cool premium products uh, that you're showing on the screen right now. Uh, you know, of course, we we stay true to our art roots and, and sell sell art prints, uh, but also apply the aesthetic of working with artists and collaborating to uh, to always not just slap key art on a product and try to shill that and, and make a bunch of dough. Uh, it's about expanding the mythology of the thing we're working on, so that like each each object, if it's a physical game, a vinyl, whatever it might be, is at least lending something to the universe of the thing you already love. Uh, so, but it's not just like carbon copying the the thing. So you'll you'll see all that nuance and detail uh, in anything we make, uh, and it's hard to convey that in photos. Uh, but when you hold that object in your hands, uh, it, it really comes through. Uh, but the same thing goes for you know uh, we're we're publishing games now uh, as of the last couple of years. So when we when we finance something soup to nuts and and take it to market with a developer, uh, the things we're attracted to are also games that you know bring a bring a layer of human psychology and and, and joy or or sentiments or uh, you know uh, make you think in a way that that aren't necessarily a homework, uh, but you know. Any game that we're publishing is is providing something to the world that wasn't there already. Uh, we're not just trying to publish games to publish games and build a catalog, but we're trying to make things that are meaningful to us with people who also want to do the same thing. Uh, but then we also yeah. have a, a, another side of the company that that works with folks like Epic Games, and, and we do a lot of the the campaigns for uh, Fortnite, for influencers, uh, we've done a lot of the, the big stunty, Crazy stuff out in the, the real world for Fortnite. Uh, if you Google uh, Fortnite burger in the desert, uh, you'll see our handiwork. And you know we've been fortunate with with Epic and Fortnite to to be there since the beginning, and we've had a lot of fun. Uh, you know, expanding that universe and really embracing the the fun of of the the vessel that they've created. Uh, and they trust us to 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 make fun things happen too. Uh, but there's a lot of uh, secret sauce uh, kind of behind the scenes that that occurs as much as our public-facing website. Uh, and then there's also uh, stuff we'll probably get into fairly soon, but like Day of the Devs and Summer Game Fest with Jeff Keighley and uh, lots of other stuff that we that we have our hands in. Uh, and if you put it all together, it, it creates this kind of well-rounded ecosystem. There it is. Uh, yeah, that, 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 <laughs> that cheeseburger uh, is der Burger from Fortnite, but it is almost 14 feet tall for context, uh, and that was in the middle of the wow. Palmdale desert.
3: It, it left the game via a rift and landed here.
1: Um, <laughs> well yeah. Yeah. So so you could call it the metaverse or you could just, you know, call it, you know, making games more of a lifestyle uh, versus just a thing that you stare at on screen. Uh, we're very big fans of like bridging new ideas and, and, you know, inserting video games into the real world in, in ways that really haven't been done before. I like
2: yeah, that. And also yeah. just like, I was going to say it really, um, it's like in everything that you kind of make, you can tell like you're also thinking of like who are the fans of this product? Like what would they like? It's not just like creating it, putting it out for the sake of creating and putting it out there. Um like,
1: yeah, like put and- it into and-
2: words, but it's just like like you said, like you think about like the psychology of um the people who are buying these products, like what do they want to put on their shelf? What about that IP and that game or movie that they're like what do they love about it
1: well well in fact you know like we are the fans you know like we're approaching it from a perspective that we're only signing up to collaborate with developers or creators of things that we actually like like me and amanda Mm -hmm. or our team uh you know everyone has a voice at the company to to speak up and say like oh this is really cool like what if we did something with that we might not even know about it Mm -hmm. but You know, it bubbles to the top and we're like, oh, shit, this is actually pretty awesome. But we don't actually work on things we don't like working on, uh, which is a fortunate position to be in. Uh, We do say no to things. uh, And it's, you know, it's something we've learned over time that it's okay to say no, uh, because not everything is appropriate all the time. Uh, And I actually failed to mention one one critical thing. Uh, Another secret weapon that we, we have is you see everything on our website, like. Uh, Ori and huddle Goose Game and Stray and Cuphead and all these glorious things that you could buy off the site. But uh, we also distribute uh, globally into retail for folks that don't download games or don't come to our website. And, you know, we're, we're quite prolific in that space of retail distro and have, have sold millions of copies of games to people who don't download games. So you know, one mm-hmm. of our missions is to introduce games to more people that don't have sweet broadband connections and fiber, you know, running through their backyards uh, because you know a little less than half of the world still plays games with physical media and don't download anything at all because they can't
2: yeah and i was going to i was going to mention that it's also like the preservation of video games the fact that you're selling actual physical games it's we're seeing it more and more of like it's like 90% of the our lifetimes like video games are threatened to like just kind of leave existence cuz it's just, like, there's no way to play them, and there's not many, like, physical additions for a lot of games. And, yeah, it's also, like, some of the games that you guys choose are kind of more indie in nature. Not all of them, but some. And, like, they probably are a company that maybe would not have been able to, like, produce and distribute their own physical copies of the game. So it's nice that... There's people like you who can do so. Yeah. I
1: mean, you look at a game like Ridiculous Fishing uh, that Vlambeer made a bunch of years ago that, like, wasn't updated for iOS and Android for a couple of years and wasn't playable by anybody. And then, you know, Co-op worked with the original creators and made a new version of it that just came out on Apple Arcade. Uh, But that was a beloved game that just, like, didn't keep up with technology because it's hard to. uh, And it just vanished. You couldn't play it anywhere. Uh, and there's no way to really make that game physical either, so there's 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 still a lot to do in the game industry that that prevents it from just dis- disappearing. Uh, yeah. We're not here to solve that problem today. But <laughs> something to
0: I liked the way you summarized, you know, no matter what way you slice I Am a bit it's about bringing these things we love into the real world, whether that means events or activations or art exhibits or high-quality physical goods. How what is the, and I'm sure it, it of course depends on whatever your client is, but what is the kind of creative philosophy behind AM, IMA? But when you go walk in with a client and they're talking to you about a vinyl or a collector's edition, how do you get to the heart of, like you said, it's not about the texture of Luke's cloak, it's about how Luke's cloak makes you feel. How do you get to that feeling?
3: I mean, we absorb as much information as we can from a developer, partner. Um, you know, we tell them, send us everything you have. We steep ourselves in what is, we read everything we can, and then we start to just bad ideas around. And it, it, it's interesting internally, I think John and I, and certainly other folks on our team, there's just a sense of, yeah, that's it. And I, I don't know how to encapsulate it any more clearly than that, but it's, it's there's a lot of instinct involved in what feels right um, and what's unexpected, frankly, you know, cause we also try to surprise and delight people with what we do. Right. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. it's, it's the Eureka
1: tonight. moment <laughs> of just like, and I mean, sometimes that goes on for weeks and weeks and weeks where it's like, you we're just stumped and then like someone's in the shower one day and, and comes to the office and says something and they're like, Holy shit. That's the, wow. Okay. That's, that's what we're doing, and then it all makes sense. But it doesn't make sense for weeks. Uh, you know, there's been moments where we, we're just like, should we just? We don't have anything. We should just like, we should just give up because if we're not going to nail it, we're not going to put something out there that we don't believe in. Uh, mm-hmm. And those been rare situations, but you know, creativity is is hard. You know, creating stuff is hard. But then, then we usually figure it out. But.
3: I was going to say, in contrast to that, sometimes we'll have, it'll just be like five minutes and we'll have, we'll have the best idea. And, you know, so you can't really, you can't anticipate how it's going to unfold, but really, you know, the key is absorbing as much of that information, visual narrative, et cetera, experiential information that we can and seeing how that teases out once we start to bat it around. And
1: also being silly about it, like not being afraid of ideas and saying no right away, uh, You know, some stuff is not reasonable. some stuff is difficult to make, uh, but you don't just instantly say no. You just put it all on the table and then like, there might be a nugget of that thing that actually is impossible to do that, that does inspire something else. And you just kind of build the tower up and to get to the top. I
0: I hate to ask the, because I know this is going to be hard, the the creative parents, like what, what their favorite children are. But like, you talked about the eureka moments, what eureka moments from, and I'm sure it's so hard to pick from the last 18 years, stand out. Of like the great, brilliant light bulb moments of working on creative projects.
1: Uh, Playdead is a good example. Uh, With Inside, we kind of all knew what that would be right away. Sure, yeah. Uh, Go ahead. We we famously, uh, and this was years ago, but it sticks with us. We created a Mm -hmm. uh, in concert with our friends at Playdead an Inside Collector's Edition, and we had an ongoing relationship with them and had been working on stuff, and they. uh, they came to us and said, hey, we want to do a physical audition, Uh And we want to do like a statue-like thing. But we don't want it to be a statue because that's stupid. We want it to be <laughs> something that's like a little malleable and like fleshy. Like so it jiggles a little bit. Like it ha- it's it's a little more gelatinous. And like we just looked at each other and we're, like, we got to make, we got to work with a sex toy manufacturer. Like we got to, it, it's not a statue. Like, let's make, like a, let's make something out of silicone grade or medical grade silicone because that's how we get the jiggliness. So we started taking meetings with all these sex toy manufacturers. I mean, who basically make dildos. Uh, and, 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 others. Yeah. And, uh, and, and we happened, to, I mean, we, we were in a lot of weird factories, uh, but we ended up uh, finding a great a great partner and a collaborator in in the real doll folks, uh, and we we realized it was going to be a really long process, and so we thought it'd be fun just to to mess around with people and, and announce the collaboration because we were pretty certain that every single person that knows inside knows exactly what we're doing if we say we're working with real doll, uh, and mm-hmm. you know people figured it out. But that was a we we learned a lot on that one, but it was a really obvious choice right away of like that's what we're doing that makes sense. And, and everyone agreed right away. Like, we were all just like, Play that was, we were like, yeah, boom, that's the notion. Yeah, I, if you saw I me see like, that.
2: I can, like, I know, like, what that feels like. Like, I see that. Yeah, yeah <laughs> you said gelatinous I mean, it
1: jiggles, sculpture. Right,
3: little yeah. legs and arms and stuff. But yeah, it's awesome.
1: Yeah, especially especially <laughs> when, like, a heavy truck drives by. It, yeah. Like, a little <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Is that yeah, awful? if you
0: saw me almost break while you were describing that, I. I knew about the collector's edition. I remember when it got sent to IGN and I remember watching their unboxing. Jeez, like, I mean, what, seven, eight, six, seven years ago at this point. And I remember them discussing the announcement of it and not knowing exactly what it is. But of course, like like you said, those who played the game, I had no idea that was IM8Bit. And that is one of the... You know, that's the whole mission of the company. But one of the few collector's editions that has stuck with me through so many years because it is so true to the grossness, but ultimately, uh, you know, artistic vision of that game.
1: It's also a good example of something that, like, we only made a, a handful of those. Like, it's only it's in the hundreds, not tens of thousands, uh, purposefully. And it was very expensive. But, like, we we basically all decided, Play Dead and us, like, we'll just go in it to break even Uh, it's expensive because human hands made everything and hand painted and like manufactured, like there was no machine that created any of that stuff. Uh, but we were just like, so proud of it. We're like, well, that's, you know, people think it's expensive, but it's like only as expensive as it needs to be to actually pay for the thing that was. Well, and it's a, it's a
3: great example of of product as marketing, which is another thing we think about Mm -hmm. all the time, right? You make something very cool, probably sells more product than putting that money into paid ads. You know, it's, it's, it's definitely like uh, an organic approach to bringing eyeballs to, to the, to the brand and the, in, in, in this specialness,
1: How many Clutches Editions come out that don't get unboxings and don't get headlines because they're so outrageous, Mm -hmm. you know, but that outrageousness is contextual because it actually makes sense to the game. It's, we're not just doing something to be salacious. Uh, we did it because like it made actual sense. Uh, but we also knew it would get headlines because mm-hmm. it's crazy. <laughs> of it. Best of both worlds. Yeah. Uh,
0: uh, I didn't mean to step on, uh, did you have any other Eureka moments or light bulbs that you wanted to share, just looking back uh the history?
3: I mean, there's so many.
1: <sighs> it's a tough one. It's yeah, a-
3: they're just so, I mean, every product is like a special child, like you said, and it's like, mm-hmm. when we choose hard we have very fleeting (laughs) memories because we're always
1: like on to the next 10 things and so it's hard to remember what happened yesterday i I, I do i do
3: feel like the cuphead marionette is another really awesome um collector's edition that 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 product Mm -hmm. is you know the marionette is super cute it like very much is reminiscent of of the character in game it's just like I don't know it's delightful and, and you know we came to this notion of marionette creation and then you know we found this great marionette makers in um Prague. in Prague yeah. yeah and and like it was just this really lovely collaboration on the back end that no one sees Um, working with these people who are experts at marionette making and they, they hand whittle everything. Like we had photographs of like hundreds of arms and hundreds of heads and like all these things, but some, you know, they were,
1: they're sewing all the pants by hand. Like there's, there's, there's no like mold for his shorts. Yeah.
3: This was not made in a factory. Yeah. You you know,
1: you can see the brushworks on his eyeballs. It's
3: like some people in a workshop whittling each piece you know, and painting it, and it, yeah, just it's just really cool.
1: And you know, and made by adult human beings who are artisans, right. not like f- tiny children that are being ab- abused. Uh, <laughs> right. You know, we're, we're very conscious of of that too. There's like, there's a right way and a wrong way oh, of ethical, doing things. Ethical yeah. production, yeah. sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. Supporting artists, not supporting slave uh-huh. labor. That's important.
2: I was already like looking at this before we had this podcast and I was like, I want this marionette doll. Now I'm like, okay, I'm pretty sure we have going to order the marionette doll. Awesome. He's just so cute. So
0: of course we've talked about the physical, many of the physical items that I 8 bit has made kind of tra- to transition into day of the Dead is a, a bridge. You know, here, uh, Ryan played earlier, like the Alita battle angel experience and IMA 8 bit helped put together. Um, you know of course john you mentioned how this all started through an art exhibit um tell us about the events that im8 but has helped put on through its history God, to
1: remember we should talk about things. the first one um well uh the very first event we did uh was called street fighter club it was uh you know we had a budget of fifteen thousand dollars to throw a, an event for the launch of street fighter 4 that's not a lot of money to throw an event, by the way. Yeah. Uh, you know, for those <laughs> yeah. people, that sounds like a lot of money to have a wedding and you know have a house party, but like to have an event for <laughs> hundreds of people and, and rent the venue and feed them and like Make provide swag. swag it's yep. like yeah. it, it's almost impossible, by travel.
3: Time. Yeah, yeah. Oh god, that stuff. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah,
1: uh, but our we were asked by Capcom to do it, and uh, a lovely man who used to work there uh, that still is in the industry named Chris Kramer uh, approached us and. And said, I want you guys to produce uh, a corporate, anti-corporate event uh, where it's like <laughs> make this feel street. Like it, it, it can't be something that we would normally do, like push us uh, past our comfort zone uh, and make it feel like Street Fighter. Uh, so we rented this like derelict warehouse in downtown L.A. and the, the scrap metal yards. Uh, it was like a second story, like o- almost abandoned building kind of vibe. Uh, kind of scary if, if you're not used to going to downtown areas <laughs> and uh we we built like a, a cage at a chain link fence and brought in some street Fighter 4 arcade machines and made some pretty this is actually a, a later Street Fighter club there's there's not a lot of video from the <laughs> first one uh this is a, a slightly fancier one that we was had, like many yeah. years later yeah. Yeah. that's yeah. when we had more money yeah. and we could but that that's <laughs> that's also like after community events were a thing like Street Fighter Club was one of the very first community events like for a particular game for a community. Uh, in fact, like at this time, like it wasn't even called community. Like there wasn't a a job description. There were no community managers. Like there was no such thing at companies. Uh, it was
3: like 2008. Yeah. 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 And I mean, it was fun. There was, you had to have a password to get in. It was basically an underground fight club. Right. And it was, so well received. And just like, it was a, it was an immense success. Um,
1: it also flew in the face of, uh, you know, the trend up until that point was having celebrity parties, like inviting, like paying a bunch of celebrities to show up at a thing on a red carpet and take photos of them playing your game. They got paid 10, 20 grand, whatever, you know, I don't know what the going rate was. Uh, no one was doing events for fans. And our argument was that, Press will come if fans are having fun. Uh, and that became a trend with the industry, period. Like, I mean, it, it kind of like launched a, a lot of companies that do this for a living now. And, sure. and we we didn't really know necessarily what we were creating, but we knew we were creating something special that we could replicate for other brands. And we we continue doing that. And I, I think the, the kind of crescendo moment would be the Alita Battle Angel thing you showed earlier, where that was like... $15,000 on a budget of Street Fighter Club and fast forward, you know, almost 15 years later, about 15 years later, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have millions of dollars to create a really authentic environment across multiple cities. And, you know, over 30,000 people came through our Elite Battle Angel event over three months. Uh, and it was one of the coolest things we've ever done. New but,
3: York, Austin, Los Angeles. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And it kind of, it was the... It was the combination of a bunch of different skill sets and all the people we met along the way and technology and production design and experiential and metagames and all sorts of stuff all coming together. It was it was a pretty neat thing.
3: Well, one thing that I think is, is sort of missing right now in the conversation that attaches, like connects all these things is that when we started doing events, we would create exclusive swag for those events, right? And people would go home with a t-shirt that they only could have gotten there and or uh you know in the in the case of um uh,
1: street fighter well jim rug stuff and street yeah, fighter Club yeah exactly a good example.
3: right custom posters um custom vinyl right um and we started to notice that in the aftermarket these items would be selling for insane multiples of what they were really worth you know what they really cost um and and we were like wait a minute my, people really love this stuff that we're creating. Like maybe we should turn this into its own business. Right. And that was really sort of the, the, knee, the, the, the gestation of the retail piece of our business. Um, it was just, that was a Eureka moment, sort of realizing that we had the ability to create things that people loved and coveted so much that that could be its own thing.
1: This, right? this is like 2010, 2011, when we started doing a lot of this stuff. And at, at that point, like collectibles were, you know, Statues, you know, you see Japan pumping out a lot of Final Fantasy stuff and they're beautiful. Uh, But the rest of the merchandise community, it was like you get a t-shirt or a plush toy and there was nothing really like super not on the nose. Uh, It was mostly just like the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. And what we started realizing was like when you make something in the mythology and universe and you don't like heavily brand it to such a degree that it, it feels like a consumer product. Uh, that was our MO was like, make things that feel like they're in world and remove as many logos as possible. Uh, don't taint it. And that's what people were flipping for egregious amounts of money, like hundreds, if not thousands of dollars. And right. Yeah, that also I, like
3: uh, an ex- another example is the Tron evolution vinyl. We did that for, that was a mailer.
1: Yeah. yeah for Disney.
3: A mailer yeah. for Disney. And I think that goes, I mean, I haven't looked recently, but on Discogs, it, it, there were times when it was going for $1,500 for a one times LP, right? Yeah. And it's a beautiful piece for sure. And definitely, you know, rare, not very many created. So I see why the value is there, but that's kind of cool.
1: Amanda yeah. found a sealed, we moved offices a couple years ago. Amanda found a sealed copy near her desk. Uh,
3: and I stole it for my house, yeah. <laughs> so it
1: lives on. My <laughs> <shop>. <laughs> She's sending it to put her kids through college, I think.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, oh, as someone who owns every other Daft Punk uh, vinyl, uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I know the value of the Tron Legacy one very well. And um, it was cool doing the research for this podcast and realizing that it was an I Eight Bit product.
1: Oh, oh, so this this wasn't the Daft Punk album. This was uh, the Sasha soundtrack that went with the game mm. when. Uh, Uh, Oh yes, Tron Evolution. Yeah, we uh, we actually we we designed the cover for the the game, uh, and it was the light cycle as turntables, and then it went up through Disney approvals, and it was a really cool piece of art by Jim Rugg, this artist we love, uh, who actually did all the stuff for Street Fighter Club, Uh, and it caught. Daft Punk caught wind of it and they were upset in a nice way uh, because they also wanted to turn the light cycle into turntables and they were concerned that we had stolen their idea before they had it uh, or before they executed on it and so we had to like come to a compromise (laughs) where like, like they had different visuals but like they were still in the same like Tron space but that was that was kind of a fun Eureka moment where it's like oh shit like we had the same idea as Daft Punk and didn't know it. Yeah, like that's a fun. Idea. <laughs> if that is a really cool like, looking vinyl, validation. I'm looking at yeah. Discogs.
3: What's it going for now?
2: <laughs> um, I don't see one up for sale. One was sold yeah. for. Is it going to tell me 500? It's asking me to log in. Ooh,
1: that again? I that's think pretty good. They got good yeah, Amanda's got one for. But that was <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, Amanda actually sold it. She's like, I, I need 500 bucks. <laughs> yeah, just hold on to it. I'll just increase in price.
1: We, we, in fact, had to fire someone once because they were selling our stuff there. And that's, that's a no-no oh. at our company. You can you can get uh, freebies for things you worked on, but you cannot be selling on the aftermarket. Uh, that would be right. unethical. Yeah. So but far, I stand
0: very yeah. firmly with the I am and, uh, no slave labor and their child labor <laughs> and no and no stealing your own company's yeah. merchandise.
1: Yeah. One, one day uh, yeah, we'll unleash our archives and do a big thing for charity because <laughs> we, we we have everything we've ever made, uh, but we can't do anything with it. Uh, and if selling it would seem wrong, but if we sold it for charity, that's a different story.
0: While we're on the topic of events, before we get too deep into Day of the Des, I am just curious, like going back to that very first event and talking about the spirit of the community found and of course later, like the desire for high quality goods. John, with that art exhibit, I know obviously coming from an animation background and putting it together with your friends, that there was clearly a passion there for games as art and branching it beyond, like you said, just what it is at face value. But were you surprised by the reaction to it or was it... Or did you identify the need for it there in putting it on?
1: Uh, I, I wasn't, I don't know if I was surprised necessarily. Like, I, I just always liked art. Like, and this is one of the reasons why we get along in the Mm -hmm. first place is like, we just, we like art, we buy art, we support artists. Like the, like our, the walls in our houses are just covered in beautiful things, uh, but like it, it felt like a thing that people didn't have access to. So if you provided a thing that made it feel approachable, uh, it seemed like a no-brainer uh, that that could be a thing. This this is a show from uh, this is like the, third, is the their yeah. third or fourth one. Yep. Um,
3: at uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, World of Wonder. World of Wonder. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, I don't know. There, there's. It didn't feel like a risk uh, at all. But it it certainly was weird telling people what it was before it was a thing because no one could understand that people would want to go to that. But I was always like, whatever, like well, I, I would go to that. I, th- uh,
3: I do think you were um, surprised by the reception, like the the, the 1988.
1: There was a lot more people than I'm probably. Also, at, yeah.
3: the press that it yeah. got, like they got some real serious.
1: Yeah, I guess I, I guess I wasn't surprised that people liked it. Right. I, I guess I was surprised that people came in the droves they did and, yeah. and received it and in like legitimate publications re, re, wrote it up. Like this is around the time when Roger Ebert was also like video games aren't art. Uh, yeah. And not that this show, it's not that this show proved that video games were art. It would just happen to be art about video games, but uh, it mm-hmm. was a very topical thing that, and the show got kind of lumped into that conversation, which was probably helpful too. But.
3: Yeah. I think that was at the root story. of my question. Was, like
0: was that stipulation yeah. or that stigma?
1: I mean, whatever. Video games yeah. are art, just like anything else. So there's no argument, right? Yeah. And, and like, if, you, if you want to argue people that, who... you, like, go away, you lose. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and like, people who like video games also can like art, and it's like, it's the whole thing about like, video games becoming movies, and like, are video games should they be talked about more and like mainstream entertainment? And it's like, yes, this the same people who are like interested in entertainment at a higher level. For, like, movies and TVs, like, they might also be interested in video games for the storytelling aspect and the entertainment aspect. It's, there's always a weird stigma when it comes to video games and, like, the cross, like, interests, but you, like, that's just one example of, like art and video games can tie together in a really meaningful way, and people like it. Yeah,
1: and we, we travel a lot for business and pleasure. And, you know, We're on planes a lot, and we meet a lot of people in taxi cabs and in hotels and whatever. <laughs> uh, and you know, it, it's hard to explain what we do. Uh, so we, we both kind of just resort to like, oh, I work in video games. And, and if people want to ask questions, they can. And we can devolve into a really convoluted and complicated conversation. Uh, But most people, when you say that, they're like, oh, I don't play games. I'm not a gamer. And the thing we always say back to them is like, okay, so you've never seen a movie? You don't listen to any music at all? Like, everyone's played a video game before. Like, you don't need to be like, all I do is play games 12 hours a day. Uh, Everyone likes a video game or has enjoyed playing a game in some respect. And it doesn't have to be the most on-the-nose video game or most hardcore. Monument Uh, Monument Valley. Yeah. Or in fact, <laughs> yeah. Wordle.
3: Yeah. Wordle's
1: sure. a video game. So, yes. yep. You know, like, do you do the New York Times crossword puzzle? Like, you know what? You're kind of a gamer. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> it's just it's a bit silly to, you know, polarize yeah. and stigma the idea of playing games because it's the same thing as watching movies or TV or, you know, listening to music or reading books or comics. or whatever. It's, It doesn't have to be yeah. nerdy. Uh, and also saying something that's nerdy isn't bad. Right. You can, be, you can be nerdy about flowers, you know? You can be, you can be nerdy it, about health anything, food, yeah. Really, you can,
2: yeah. You can be nerdy about eating kale. Doritos. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> hot mustard Doritos.
1: <laughs> so,
0: speaking of elevating video games as art, tell us about uh, Day of the Devs. How did it
3: start? What is it for people unfamiliar? So, uh, Day of the Devs began in 2012, Eleven. 2011.
1: 11 11
3: years, 12 years? Sorry, I I didn't know what you were Cueing me there. I think it was 2012, so that would be 11 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, And uh, it started in partnership with Double Fine. And um, they had notions of doing some sort of indie gaming gathering, and we, again, banged our heads together and came up with this idea of what became Day of the Devs. Day of the Devs now is an annual, well, biannual, ever, twice a year gathering of, well, actually, it's more than that. It's more it's than that. It's three times. yeah it's,
1: it's just a thing. It's,
3: it's, <laughs> I'll, I'll just say what it is. <laughs> we're talking about thing, but basically, we bring together indie devs at no cost to them with indie game fans in an environment where they can interface in a, in a, in a direct fashion, so you can come play a game that is in its very early stages of development. You can play a game right before it's going to be released to to the public. You know, you can have a conversation with a developer one on one about your experience playing their game. They can ask you questions. You can ask them questions. It's just a very like intimate and um, direct and organic fan to fan gamer to developer space. Um, we fund it all with uh, sponsorship dollars. We're not—we run it like a nonprofit. Um, you know, nobody's making a whole lot of money. We're just trying to do a service for the industry and for fans, and allowing this intersection to happen in a really like easy, fun, and like non-committal environment.
1: Yeah, it's like a, a Sundance of video games uh, with a little Woodstock mixed in because it's—it's kind of a, <laughs> a, a, a bit loose. Uh, it, it's it's unlike a Pax or a convention in that uh, it, it's not super manicured. Uh, it it allows for what Amanda's is talking about those those kinds of conversations that aren't so guarded by like publicists and uh, you know gatekeepers. And it's it's more about like developers, frankly, just gathering feedback to make their game better too. Because the, the demos aren't traditional demos; they're just the build of the game. Uh, And it's probably pretty broken, uh, but they're still cool games. They might be like a year away from release. They might be five years away from release. But, uh, you know, the goal is to expose those games and get them some attention, but also like help the devs figure out what to fix, because it's really hard to play test your game and watch human beings play the thing you made. Uh, That doesn't really happen very often. It's expensive to go to PAX. And other shows and rent space so that's why we don't charge anyone and we do it all through sponsor dollars it's free to get in and it's it, you know we we pay for your tvs and we get all the pcs through sponsors and all you got to do is show up and load your game up on the thing and stand there for a bunch of time and uh, <laughs>
3: hours yeah, yeah
1: not complain that your feet hurt <laughs> well, i
3: just yeah. had a thought which is that you know we kind of like set up a scenario where developers can show people how the sausage is made a little bit but also the aesthetic of the event shows you how the sausage is made like we're not hiding cables it's all really punk rock (laughs) like you know there's people running around setting things up and changing things and it's all kind of visible to the people who are there like we're not hiding it and trying to pretend it's all perfect and prim
1: and proper you know making games is messy and it's like day of the devs is the the probably if we ran the analytics on it the show in which games crash more than any other show on the planet because <laughs> the, they're not stable because they're like early revs they're not like they're not mm-hmm. built to withstand demos like uh like if a playstation or xbox uh went to pax they would make sure their their demos are like 10 minutes 20 minutes like they they got that they're custom built just for that and they're like play tested and play tested because they got the bucks to to manicure it in that way and you know what? Like, not everyone has big corporate dollars to make things nice and pretty, uh, and those those things are great. Those situations are awesome, but this is this is the anti version of that, where you know, giving devs an opportunity, uh, big and small, it doesn't matter if you know you're a team of twenty or a team of one.
3: Uh, we'd be remiss yeah. if we didn't mention that we do now also have a digital showcase for Day of the Devs um, twice a year. Um one in conjunction with Summer Game Fest on the heels of what Keeley does, and then one um, in the in the winter. Um and you know, we we sort of we we go through a, a winnowing and selection process and then we end up showing like twelve games or something on the on the showcase, um things that everybody's really excited about.
1: Yeah, we, we found a great partner in in Jeff Keeley in that, you know, he's he's really good at Identifying and and building momentum for for big AAA stuff like stuff that has like a lot of crash and thunder uh, and, and really bringing those things to the forefront uh, and we've we built this nice like contrast piece that complements uh, with indie stuff uh, because like we don't really play in that big AAA space uh, and Jeff doesn't really play in the indie space and of course there's always crossover but but we've we've uh, we've really trusted each other to. To bring this well-rounded flavor to things like Summer Game Fest, where you know the, the gaming community is about like all the different kinds of games, not just the things that can afford to you know, pay their way uh, as well. Mm-hmm. Like the, the notion of like having a presence and having a marketing campaign and, and, and being in that boat is like a privilege uh, that very rare games get unless they're backed by by big publishers. Uh, but those big publisher games also are artful and lovely and amazing. Uh, but you know, the indie games tend to get left behind. So, you know, kudos to, to Jeff for, for seeing the light and supporting day of the devs and, and giving us an audience for, for that sort of stuff, because, uh, we wouldn't be able to help these devs otherwise, you know, yeah. after one, after one airing within 24 hours of day of the devs, like devs report back to us that they get like, it, it's like zero to a hundred. Like they. It's like ten 000 to twenty thousand wish lists is like you know what gets reported back to us, if not more. Uh, it can really make or break a game. Uh, you know, things get discovered and get deals off the back of Day of the Devs, and that's 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 why we do it. It's like
2: yeah, I we say I otherwise
1: maybe go bankrupt <laughs> and like have to sell their homes or eat ramen for the rest of their life or uh, yeah. able to get a spotlight, which is pretty awesome.
2: Yeah, I was gonna say I love watching it and I I do this with most showcases where I have my like Steam wish list up next to it. So I'm like sitting watching the live stream and then I'm just like wish listing the games yeah. as they appear. Cause otherwise, yeah, I'm like so many games come out a day. It's so easy to miss those. So having a platform for them to get that visibility is just I I really enjoy it and I'm glad that they're getting yeah, thousands and thousands yeah. of wish lists. That they otherwise wouldn't and, and, be able to get.
1: Yeah, and we we're also like super fair about all of it. Like we have a we have a curation team that's made up of representatives from all the first parties, including ourselves, uh, as well as Double Fine. Uh, so you know we recuse ourselves if there's a conflict of interest to make sure that everything gets a fair shot. Uh, and other folks do the same thing, but you know there's a lot of different POVs and perspectives. So that way, like the the 12, 15 games that we showcase in the digital showcase or the 70 plus games in the physical event uh, are all chosen for reasons. And they all exist in an ecosystem that does feel curated, but also is well-rounded in the sense that we're looking at diversity. We're looking at underrepresented uh, developers and and the kinds of games that like might not be commercial, uh, but are cool and have great ideas going on. Uh, like the Henry half head is fucking ridiculous. It's a disembodied head that like possesses like household objects, but it's fantastic.
2: Um, that was my favorite game from play days, which I was about to bridge us to anyways. And I was going to ask cause you've, you do play uh, day of the devs, but you also have worked with Jeff Keeley for the play days that happens for summer games fest. And I, I got to go this year, um, was working with one of our clients on the show floor, but I wanted to point out that like, I did notice that day of the dev had their own booth as well. So it was as well as some, a lot of other indie booths. It was really nice seeing this kind of like triple a right next to indie and just like all together in the same space. And it didn't seem like anybody was like, cause all the booths were the same. No booth was like taking over the space. Um, but yeah, I would love to like hear more about how Play Days has come to be, what your guys' work with Jeff there and... Hot topic. <laughs> <laughs> you <can
1: say. laughs> it, uh, You know, I mean, to, to speak to the, the one thing you say about uh, everything kind of having an even, even playing field in a way, uh, and daily devs being present amongst these AAAs, uh, because we produce... Uh, Super Nuts with Jeff, or uh, Summer Game Fest, uh, were able to bring Day of the Devs there and have all the other big publishers subsidize its presence. So like, none of those indie games are paying to be there, uh, but they're showcased amongst their peers of giant AAA games uh, because they deserve to be there, but they couldn't afford to be there otherwise. Uh, but by design, like us and Jeff made sure that it, it felt well-rounded and we designed the finances of the show, uh, to be able to support and, and give back in that way, uh, which, which is something special because in a normal convention setting, you're just trying to sell square footage and you just try to make as much money as possible. Uh, whereas like we're trying to create the best show possible and we know media coverage and in influencers walking around want to discover stuff. They don't just want to be like bombarded by the same shit like that they're expecting like maybe you're going for uh the new mortal kombat because you're a big fan and that's a huge game but like along the way if you make a few discoveries that catch you off guard like that's a way better experience than just kind of going to a thing knowing what you're gonna get uh so it needs to be well run in that way but you know i don't know if you want to talk about the genesis of how it all came to be
3: I don't know how much I want to talk about the gist.
1: Where do we start? We will. I mean, we we've we've been at a lot of conventions. We've we've made a lot of booths for people. Uh, we've built out a lot of experiences. We've suffered.
3: We've suffered <laughs> the, the wrath of being at a convention for a long period of time, or from walking twenty five thousand steps a day for three days in a row and just being completely exhausted. We've also been on the build side of things and just been like, wow, I have to pay that much for carpet and that much for carpet padding and that much to run a cable and that much for someone to hammer a nail into a wall for me, you know? So there's a lot of like pain points around the current structure of conventions. And we were trying to change all that, you know? Um, And again, it's kind of that human psychology. It's like create something where people enjoy being, that they feel good physically and mentally being there and afterwards. And that's a much better and repeatable experience. Um, it's it, it, for folks then and, and for ourselves, you know, it's, it's not something that people are going to be like, uh, yeah, that was, I got, a, I got some good material there, but God, my body hurts. And I just like feel horrible for four days afterwards. And, you know, we, we were trying to escape all of that.
1: Yeah. I mean, a lot of people talk about, uh, us and Jeff replacing E3 or killing E3. And that was not our intent whatsoever. It was to do something completely different and to learn from our experiences. uh, Sure, at shows like E3 or PAX or any number of conventions, Comic-Con, and to Amanda's point, like kind of resolve all the stuff that like beat us down and wore us out from all those things, but still provide a, a platform for what publishers and developers need. And it's attention for their... The stuff they're making, and if you don't have attention and no one knows about the thing, then it's not going to sell, and you're going to go out of business. <laughs> so, you know, can we create a platform uh, in Summer Game Fest that that bolsters things that isn't as big a headache as and, and, and as big a burden financially uh, on everyone that has to participate uh, if they want to? And you know, I guess if you don't know how the finances of conventions work, uh, it costs millions of dollars to build booths in if you're going all out, uh, if not tens of millions, like it's a lot of money, uh, and it's a lot of people and it's a lot of time. And we wanted to create a scenario that, that was much more plug and play and easier on everyone. So they didn't have to travel in two, three weeks ahead of time. They could travel in the day before bring their build, uh, we provide the TVs. We provide all the furniture. We provide all the production design. If you guys want to customize and rent one of our spaces on campus, that's cool. Uh, but we'll help you do whatever you need help with. Because one of the, the side effects of pandemic is that a lot of people got laid off. And the people that got laid off, the ones that didn't have a place during pandemic, and that's events teams. Yeah, That's people who did physical things. Uh, so we out of Necessity also needed to provide resources to help all the different publishers with with different you know s- staffing uh, urgency, like you know, Square Enix as an, as you know a point of interest. Uh, their events team was one person. and they used to have an events team of a lot of people, uh, and they were a great collaborator and and you know they did stuff on their own. But they also asked for an assist for for their section of, of uh, Summer Game Fest. Uh, whereas Amazon didn't have an events team at all. And so we, we helped them build out everything like soup to nuts. Uh, so it's really about being a concierge service for, for things and not like being a jerk about like pricing and like, Oh, you want, uh, you need a straw for your soda. That's going to cost you $15, uh, you know, being reasonable and and being accommodating and, and being a collaborator versus just being a, a service I think is, is part of it. Um. I got a little off track. But,
3: well, and not yeah. being driven by the bottom line and maximizing, maximizing, maximizing. Like you know, I'm not going to pretend we don't like upside on on stuff we do. Of course we do. We need to be in business with people. <laughs> we have to pay. But like you know, if that's the driving force, it it, it undermines <clears throat> the human factor, the enjoyment of what's happening in a way that it feels yucky to us. Like you know, we want we want both. We want to create something financially sustainable and totally enjoyable, you know? So that was kind of our goal. And, you know, when we, we, we ran into Jeff just sort of randomly, I guess it wasn't super random, but at at a, at a, a, an industry event. Um, And we just got to talking and we were talking about all the things we're talking about right now. And we just found that we had this like synergy and this sort of same notion of this thing that might, we could perhaps create together. And it just sort of happened. I don't remember how, how the, how the just, steps unfolded, but we just kept happened. walking towards it and then it became a thing. <laughs> you know?
1: yeah. uh, and, and I guess the, the fortunate part is that like, we didn't need a bunch of investors to do it. We, it was just us and Jeff, like that's it. Yeah. Uh, so we didn't have to answer to a board of directors or, anyone else that had a say but we did a survey of the industry and we like we talked to a lot of people to see what they needed and what they wanted uh, and if they'd be welcoming of something like this and, and the reception was great uh, and ever since summer game fest started as digital four years ago the plan was always to do a physical event but pandemic you know it stopped things from happening so the roadmap has been very long uh, and we've been building up and you know have a plan for evolution but but the plan was never to you know be an event that was at a giant convention center. Yeah. Like, we, we have no interest in that yeah,
3: at no. all. It undermines everything that we're trying to maintain.
1: Yeah. But the, the plan is to be like a South by Southwest, but like a mini version where it feels more like a block party than it does an exhausting like slog.
3: Where uh, you can't get to the bathroom without waiting 20 minutes hmm. and you can't get food unless you wait in the line. And,
0: and hey, you know. hey, the bathroom
1: actually smells nice and the food's actually good. And, and it's free. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: Uh, as someone who has attended many events where uh, those are not the case, thank you <laughs> for your work in making those boxes
1: um, be checked. What you don't enjoy thirty dollars hot dogs that you wait in the line for forty minutes to get? <laughs> <laughs> not when they look steamed. Not when they look steamed.
0: <laughs>
2: Ew. Well,
0: <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'm just saying what I found. <laughs> Uh, John and Amanda, this has been a really informative and fun like overview of im 8 history and growth and how you've gotten to where you are today. Is there, looking forward, um, anything you want to promote or have people have their eyes on or just general things about the future you're excited about? Hmm. Or is I mean, it I all under wraps?
3: Really, no, we're really excited about our, our games publishing wing, IM8Bit Presents. You know, we have we have several titles coming in the next uh, three years, I guess we would say, um, and you know, I think that's something we're really kind of like leaning into right now. Um, yeah. Part of our business that we're we're very optimistic about. Yeah,
1: and everything we're doing with the publishing space is is stuff that we're personally attracted to, as well as our team. But <laughs> also, it's different kinds of stuff. Like nothing that we were publishing or collaborating on is stuff that was like pitched to us in a in a formal way. It's just things that kind of like found us and made sense and we liked the people involved and it was more about the people than the thing. As much as the thing was cool, it was about, you know, getting along and trusting those people and them trusting us. And, uh, it's been a very interesting way to build a business, but it's how we prefer it. Uh, and, uh, Summer Game Fest is, I mean, it's it's just the beginnings too of of (laughs) what it can be. Day of the devs will, go through some really lovely evolutions in the next couple of years to, to kind of bring it to more people, which we're pretty excited about. Uh, I mean, we're excited about it all. I was just going to say yeah. music. Like, I mean, I I, <clears throat> I feel like
3: there's not a bit a part of what we do that we're not excited about, <clears throat> because if we were not excited, we would stop doing it, you know?
1: Yeah. You'll see us making some big yeah. moves in the music space in the next couple of years, too. Uh, uh, that will probably be pretty unexpected, but it's it's stuff we've been building towards. We're always building towards things, but things take a long time, so... You know, we back pocket a lot. And, you know, when the opportunities arise, we're ready. Uh, But, you know, most projects that you see and you like take, you know, four, six, eight years. Like, we work on things for a really long time.
2: That's typical in the games industry. We're very familiar with how long it takes to make anything.
3: Well, uh,
1: Uh, John and Amanda, keep going. Oh, Oh, I was was going to say, thank you. You were wrapping up, but uh, (laughs) I'll just interrupt you. Uh, Thanks for having us. It's it's always fun to... have people ask questions like this because like not a lot of people know how stuff is, how the sausage is made. Uh, they, they just, it just shows up in front of them and they're, you know, you're excited, but.
3: Well, uh, and I think every time we talk about it, we kind of distill it a little further for ourselves, which is always nice. It's like a little personal uh, uh, evolution on, on the, on the way we're thinking about things. So thank you. Yeah. Of course. Thank That's you all for your time.
0: Yeah. Uh, one final fun question just to end on, do either of you have a, a dream project whether it's an event or a collectible or an item it's on your you've always cooked around or thought about that you'd like to see happen
1: well there's things we can't say uh that i, we're I have on. one i can yeah. say what? parappa the rapper oh yeah vinyl oh
0: yeah <laughs> been that trying to for exist. years we've
1: been trying. Okay.
0: well anything well, we can do to help get that out there <laughs> because i would yeah. buy
1: it Tell <laughs> everyone no it, 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 it's complicated uh you know, but, you know, it, the, the complicated things are the ones that are worthwhile. Uh, yeah. But we're just, we're, we, we like to manifest things, put stuff out in the universe. And so that's what we're, <laughs> we're telling. the world.
0: Oh, oh, I love it. Well, speaking of putting it out in the world, John and Amanda, where can people find you? Where can they find I am 8-bit and all of the lovely things you mentioned today?
1: Our website. Yeah, uh, I am
3: 8 bitcom you know, and uh, I don't know, social media, I suppose. Yeah, we're yeah.
1: we're, we're, uh, we're <laughs> on Twitter or X and... Uh, threads <laughs> and Instagram and all the things. Yeah. Uh,
3: you probably won't find me. I'm more secret uh, than John, but yeah. you can find him. well perfect
0: we'll link to the website and the socials in the description of this episode you can find this show everywhere including on youtube and i guess now we're calling it x uh, unfortunately uh at real time strats Uh, you can email us questions at podcast at triple point com. and before we wrap up caitlin john amanda any closing thoughts anything that we didn't ask about that you wanted to share
2: just thank you guys so much for coming on it was great having you on talking with you guys. I know Sam and I have been big fans of I 8 bit for a long time. Um, even when it was items that we didn't realize you were the masterminds behind, but <laughs> it's always good to learn. Um, and yeah, just, I'm really looking forward to seeing what you guys do in the future.
1: Well, awesome. And great name too. I'm from Michigan. So red wings go. Yeah.
2: Oh, I was, I'm from <laughs> Michigan.
1: Oh, Which oh, really? it's oh, yeah. not
2: related. I, My last name just happens to be Red Wing and I grew up in Michigan and I no longer, I live in LA now. (laughs) (laughs)
3: All
0: right. Well on that note, thank you all so much for listening.